0: Thank you, Amy-Beth. Good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you as we continue our Better Body series. Uh, earlier singing, It Is Well, um, brought tears to me, to me because um, a very good friend of ours, uh, the man who actually married my wife and I, uh, was driving a car and, um, and was hit head-on by a drunk driver, and he lost his mother, and his wife, and his daughter <clears throat> in one accident. And when preparing the funeral... He said, that's the hymn that I want to sing, that in all all the times of my life I'd be able to sing it as well, and um, powerful song, powerful testimony. Uh, If you've come to church looking for the prosperity gospel, the promise that we won't ever hurt and we don't ever need to be vulnerable, you've come to the wrong church this morning. Today we're going to preach on vulnerability and humility and how it leads to authenticity, and that's the fruitful life of Christ that he's calling us towards. Will you bow your heads and pray with me now? Father, thank you so much for the gift of scripture and the inspiration and the way that you've spoken to us since the beginning to teach us your ways. And now, Father, as you open your word and continue to reveal healthy characteristics of, a, of the body of Christ, Lord, teach us to hear from you in new ways, that you would challenge us, that you would... Enlighten us, that you would bring encouragement, Lord, that you would bring a sharp edge to places that need a little bit of hewing off, that we would hear from you and learn from you and what it looks like to have a fruitful life in Christ that's vulnerable and humble and authentic. In your name we pray. Amen. If you've uh, come to Bethany North very much, you may have heard me say that uh, one of my few spiritual gifts is. Authenticity and keeping it humble. And then I often insert the jokes, it's my greatest characteristic, my humility. And people love that one because that's a great joke. And that always gets people just dying laughing. But um, like, kind of got this. Authent- authentic, keep it humble, keep it real, talk about real stuff. All right, sounds good. On Monday, all the pastors of Bethany that, that are teaching this week, we all gather around a table and the Bible. And we study the word together. This happens every single Monday. We open the Bible and we say, What are we going to teach in six different churches this weekend? And this Monday, you know, we're studying together. And I'll confess, like, I mean, authenticity and humility, like, I've got this. And I'm, I'm kind of quoting the, the right scriptures and, and kind of sharing the right theologians. And I'm just kind of in my element, right? Uh, and in a lot of ways, for the guy that's leading the talk on humility and authenticity look like in many ways, like I've got it all together. And then I hop in my car and I drive north on I-5 and sitting behind the steering wheel, my thought, my head is full of utterly other thoughts, envy, and worry, and anxiety, you've taken that drive. You've stared at those signs, you've stared at that steering wheel, you know the words of humility and authenticity, but you know the space that worry occupies in our heads sometimes. And if I could be just totally vulnerable with you guys, ugly thoughts, jealous thoughts. Why is this person given this opportunity? Why were they acknowledged before me? Why does that person have this and I have that? Comparing my situation, jealous, ugly, envious thoughts. I just thought, what a, what a great irony, and I just helped lead a discussion about being vulnerable and authentic, but in my heart of hearts, I'm holding on to all these envious thoughts and all these worries, and God convicted me driving north, are you, you going to live this stuff or not? Are you going to receive this stuff or not? I... I mean, to stand up here on a Sunday morning means that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there was a crucible of faith that the Lord was turning towards my own heart. Because before I can proclaim it to truth to you, I have to know it to be truth in my own life. We need to be humble people. And that's born out of vulnerability and will lead to authenticity. and, And it's a challenge for everyone in the room, every one of us. But the best life in Christ awaits those of us that are are vulnerable and humble and authentic. And so as as we kind of dig into this a little bit, this is our big idea this morning, that by practicing vulnerability, it moves us as God's people towards humility. And then the foundation becomes authenticity as we become joyful participants of the resurrection life. Stay with me. The fruit of these things is joy, is life, is hope. But we've got, we got to work our way there. So let's begin with the first teaching here that comes from our outline. This is our, our message title today, Vulnerable, Humble, and Authentic, Becoming the People of God. We're going to start right in. Better bodies, the body of Christ, as us as followers of Christ, better bodies are vulnerable. And vulnerability is more than just as culturally relevant. It's kind of become in vogue in recent days. Researchers like Brené Brown and others that you can, you can Google you know, vulnerability and a whole bunch of resources will come out. But in actuality, there's a scriptural mandate from the beginning that, as Richard says when we, as we teach this, is that we need to see the gap in our lives. That every one of us, though we have the fullness of the resurrection life, we have the, the promise of new life from the cross, that every one of us there's a gap. There's a gap between what God is calling us to do and the drive north on I-5. There's a gap between what I proclaim with my lips but the worry in my head as I hold on to jealous and envious thoughts. There's a gap. And so every one of us, as followers of Christ, we need to have this fullness of new life in Christ but be cognizant and aware that there's a gap. And when we're, when we're not aware of the gap, then that's when we start, to, we start to put up walls. We start to wear masks with one another. When I was in high school, when I taught high school English uh, in Los Angeles, I used to, to lead off our unit on Catching the Rye, and I would have the students read this poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. You can look it up on your own, but he, he was, Dunbar was a slave who was free, and he, he spoke about the mask that he wore in community. He says, we wear the mask that grins and hides, and it buries our, our scars, buries our pride. We wear the mask and i would have students write on the outside the things that the world sees and write on the inside that which only god can see We've got to be people that are vulnerable, aware that God has some work to do on the gap between what the world sees and the interior of my thought life. Interestingly enough, in the scriptures, there's not a one-for-one comparison. There's not a a perfectly translatable word for vulnerability in the scriptures. The closest thing, it comes in Paul's writings. It's the Greek word astheno, which really means to be weak and to be feeble. Because in, in the first century, In the first century, the idea of power was always manifested in strength, and glory would be manifested in in power. And so along comes Jesus, along comes Jesus that says there will be new power, aware of the gap gap allowing God to speak into that place between that which the world sees and that which no one can see. Paul would say to the church in Corinth, God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. We are but dust and ash. And here as we begin the Lenten season, it just we need to be mindful. We're, we're ash people. We are. Wednesday night, we had an all-church worship service and, and we, we extolled the ashes to people. Because this is our foundation, and we want to forget that. We want to get away from that, and Christ is always calling us to remember that we need to be vulnerable. Jürgen Moltmann, a wonderful Christian theologian, says this, that every human life has its limitations, its vulnerabilities, and its weaknesses. We are born needy, and we die helpless. And that may seem like kind of a dark quote, until you remember the season of Lent. In all its fullness is a season of fasting before we feast, a season to remember that we're not there yet. A season to remember that, that God's best life, I can't ever live into it. And so instead of faking it or being discouraged or constantly worrying about things, I need to be vulnerable to Christ in me and Christ around me. Because in vulnerability, it leads an ability to see our own weaknesses. There's this amazing scene in Lord of the Rings where Frodo he suffers this grave injury and almost di- excuse me, almost dies in Rivendell, but he's been changed from the wound. And the author, Tolkien, writes this, though, he, "'Though Frodo had been healed from his wound, that grim wound had not been without effect. His senses were sharper and more aware of things that could not be seen. One sign of change that he soon had noticed was that he could see more in the dark.'" ...than any of his companions. Oh, that's, that's good. The vulnerability and the wear of my gap... ...allows me to see in the darkness. See the places that God still needs to shape me. See the places where I don't have it all figured out yet. And then God can start to reveal the idols of competition... ...and envy in our life. Why are we jealous... Why do we resent that they got married, that they're pregnant, that they have better roommates, that they got that job, the people in our workplace where we can be jealous and envious people. And we can be outside of the fullness of the resurrection life because we're holding on to this idol of competition. And scripture always reminds us it's it's not what God's heart is. I mean, think of the story of David and Saul in 1 Samuel. It's amazing how Saul had, he was, he, was, he was the king, he was powerful, he was leading David. This comes out of 1 Samuel 18, verses 5 through 9. Uh, David went everywhere that Saul sent him because David worked for him. And David did well. Saul had him lead the men of war and it was pleasing to all the people and to Saul's servants. When David returned from killing the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. It was a party, They were playing songs and the joy of timbrels. They They were dancing with tambourines. There was probably cowbells. And the women sang as they played and said, Paul has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And then Saul became very angry. The sang did not please him. He said, they have given David honor for tens thousands, but me only thousands, which was truth because David was the leader of the military. Now Saul continued, now what more can he have but to be king? And Saul was jealous and did not trust David from that day on. Do you see what's happening here? They're in the same army. And Saul can't take glory in what's happening through David's life because of envy and jealousy. And we said it a couple weeks ago, we'll say it again. The Christian army seems to be the only army in the world fond of shooting each other. Why are we jealous? Why are we envious? Oftentimes in my life, as the God has continued to, to change my heart, there's this particular situation with a particular place where there's, there's jealousy. I, I could whitewash it for you, but I'll just tell you what it is it's jealousy. And finally, someone smarter than me said, Obviously, God has something to teach you from that person. And so I've started to pray with, for that person. And met with that person. We had coffee and started to, to see that person as a human being. And, and the seeds of friendship are being sown. All because God allowed me to be vulnerable. Who are you jealous of? Maybe who that's who God wants you to be praying for. Or learning from. Because we run the risk with a jealous and envious heart of having this poisonous heart. That just, that just steals the joy from people around us. And this constant thing of comparison. Another one of my favorite theologians recently, Walter Brueggemann, said this about envy. He says, We in the United States live in a deathly social context that's marked by consumerism and militarism and the loss of the common good. That ideological system causes us to be very afraid and to regard other people as competitors or as threats or as rivals. It causes us to think of the world in very frightened and privatistic forms the gospel very much wants us to think in terms of a neighborhood, in terms of being in solidarity with other people, of sharing our resources, and of living out beyond ourselves. The gospel contradicts the dominant values of our system, which encourages self-protection and self-sufficiency and the loss of the common good. The church, in some ways, is a reflection of those dominant values. See, there's not even a great word for vulnerability in the first century, but Paul was constantly reminding us to be vulnerable. He says to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, widen your heart also. What restricts the joy of the Lord moving through us? It's, it's the restriction that we place on our own, on our own uh, joy for other people. And a lack of vulnerability. And Paul just challenges this over and over and over again. Over and over and over. Open our hearts. You know, there's Sundays where my routine is to to get here about eight. There's already a team. It takes about 50, 60 people to do what we do on a Sunday. If you're one of those people, thank you. If you're showing up or staying late and watching our kids and making like, thank you for all that you do. We're honored that you're partnered with us. And I'm lucky enough to get here at eight. In those early years, I used to push carts and set things up, and now I don't even know where half the stuff goes because what my job to do when I get here at eight is to go walk the track and pray. And <laughs> pray that the Lord would be able to speak through me. And you know something funny? There's, there's weeks where like I'm sitting down front, I'm like, I got this one. I got that that great story or or this exegetical turn of the fray. I mean, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. It's not great. Often. There's weeks that I'm sitting down there like Moses in Exodus 4. God, I don't have the right words. And I'm sure you've chosen the wrong man. And you know that those are always the most beautiful Sundays where the Lord says exactly you don't have to be perfect. You get to be vulnerable. Be vulnerable and open the scriptures and let me speak, says God. You ever want to give somebody good encouragement before they go on a big speaking gig or they have something exciting? So just tell them, hey, show them your heart. Show them your heart. And maybe the Lord this morning is encouraging you in your singleness in your marriage and your depression over a really crappy Valentine's Day, or your joy of something God's doing, maybe the Lord just wants to say to you this morning, just, just show them your heart. Show them your heart. You don't have to be so guarded and so afraid. In, in safe places, be vulnerable with people that can walk with you. Be vulnerable. I mean, ask a child who their favorite parent was growing up. and Oftentimes, it's the vulnerable one, right? Oh, it's my dad. He could just, he could admit when they made a mistake. After the service, I had a couple of parents who grabbed me. And like, you know, this message is just so good for my kids. Because, you know, it's, it's hard in their culture to be vulnerable and transparent and authentic. And, and they're right. This is a message for us all. Children and parents, vulnerable. Single and married, vulnerable. Joyful and brokenhearted, Vulnerable. There's a woman in our church and she, she posted this blog recently and just, just loved the way that she was so vulnerable and how it led to honesty. And I wanted to share with you, I got permission from her and uh, she goes to a different campus, but just a, a beautiful heart. And she writes this, she says, honesty is the thing that keeps us from being alone. Where there's honesty, you could sub in vulnerability there. Where there's honesty, there's authenticity when there's authenticity, there's trust. And when there's trust, there's deepening. And where there's deepening, there's relationship that's beautiful and hard at the same time. So let me be honest and go first, she writes. My name is... I have three kids. I fear what people think of me and that I'm not enough. I have multiple negative thoughts about my body every day. I struggle immensely with the transition to being a mom and my identity and that. I've survived depression and eating disorder. I had a miscarriage that flipped me upside down. I yell at my kids sometimes. I can't keep up with the laundry or cleaning the bathroom. I have trouble asking for and accepting help. I don't cook with all organic foods. I eat chocolate in secret. And even harder for me to say out loud, I am strong. I love fiercely. I fight for my marriage. I show up for my kids. I have something to give and something to say. In the 39 years of my life thus far, what I know to be true is that my greatest satisfaction has come out of overcoming fear. My greatest joy has come when I've stepped out of my comfort zone, my greatest growth out of my greatest loss. We need to be vulnerable people. We worship a God who was vulnerable, who allowed himself to be nailed to a tree for us to have salvation. Vulnerability. Begets humility. This is the second piece of our outline. The better bodies are humble. But as God's people, we need to be humble people. I, I used this quote a couple months ago. I'll use it again C.S. Lewis, not my own. Write it down and, and come back to it. This is the best, the best teaching on humility. Lewis writes true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. We don't need to be shame based. We don't need to say that we don't deserve it. We don't need to constantly stay in a place where God's grace can't move through us. We don't need to think less of ourselves. We need to think of ourselves less. How do we do that? What well, Jesus says, it's remembering that we're not the center actor in the stage. Jesus in Mark 6 says this, and this comes from the message translation uh, under the subtitle, The world is not a stage. And it's not about us, Jesus says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who, you, who made you won't be applauding. <sighs> when you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action. I'm sure the play actors, I call them, treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds, They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That is your way to God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scene, helps you out. The world is not a stage. It's not about us. And later in Matthew 6 is where Jesus, he he teaches us that if we don't want to be anxious people, we need to be rooted in the author and perfecter of our faith. That a lot of our anxiety is born out of our inability to trust God with our present circumstances. God, I don't trust that you're going to provide for me. In my singleness, in my marriage, in my job, in my financial situation, a lot of our worry comes out of our inability to trust God as provider. So at the end of Matthew 6, Jesus says, are you going to trust me? Don't I provide for you, haven't I provided for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field? I'll, I'll do it for you. Won't you believe? A lot of our boasting is rooted in fear, and a lot of our fear is rooted in boasting, and so there we are. We need to be humble people. Not thinking less of ourselves, shame-based. No, full of God's glory, thinking of ourselves less often. God, let me trust you in my life, in the each and the every day. And that happens when we're bearing witness to something bigger than ourselves. We need a vista of something bigger to ourselves. And oftentimes, we think God owes us something. I've got kids, they come to me, and they say, you owe me my allowance. I say, kid, I don't owe you anything. I just spent $800 at Costco. I don't owe you anything. Right? I don't owe them. What are they talking about? Sometimes we get in that trap. thinking God owes me my health, or my wealth, or my relationship. He doesn't owe us anything. Every day is a gift, and humility is born out of fresh vistas of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, teach me to be humble by seeing you. And as you see God more clearly, it allow me to love people better. Jesus says this in John 5, How can you have faith when you seek glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? Our ability to be humble grows when we see values in one another growing. When we invest in other people, it allows us to be more humble. When we invest in other people, it allows us to see that it's not about us. And so that's why we need to step out so much. Because if you're like me, you're selfish too. Or is it just me? Because I spend the majority of my days thinking about myself. My situations, my worries, my needs, my concerns. Is it, am I alone? We have to see Jesus and invest in other people to just constantly try and remind, God, remind me. It's not about me. It's about you. Make me humble. Paul writes to the church in in Thessalonians about this collective, collective pronoun of God working through us and not just me. Paul taught the Thessalonians this. Listen to this. For God has not destined us for wrath, But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Live in peace with one another. God has given us this plural pronoun understanding of the gospel from the beginning. Guess what? This isn't the best church in town, there's other churches, there's other pastors. All right, we don't come to the best show in town. We come to a church where I'm just in relationship. And can I be vulnerable with you and you with me? We study the Bible and just do life. Okay, well, that's called church. There's other other churches. There's other communicators. There's only one God and one gospel. Let's be humble and call it what it is. God working through us, not in our strength, but in our brokenness. Not in having all the answers figured out, but in being humble and saying that God continues to use us even though we make a mess of things so often you want a powerful study of that, go to Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, which I'm firmly convinced because of my predisposition to selfishness and to greed and envy, it really is the parable of the older brother. And Jesus tells this parable. If you're not familiar with the Bible story, you can read it on your own. The younger brother has taken the father's wealth. He's run away. The father forgives him. Rembrandt painted better than any words can ever describe. This is, this is what it looks like, the God who we... Love. He loves us and accepts us. And then notice the other brother. Luke 15 says, Now when the father's older son was in the field, and when, and when he came and approached the house, the, the older brother heard the music and the dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and he began inquiring, What is going on? And the servant said, Your brother's come. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, the older brother did. He was not willing to go into the house. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Because the same father that, that forgives the first son forgives the second son. And some of you that never were a prodigal son, maybe you have a proud and righteous heart. And God will forgive you too. But you got to enter the house. you got to enter the embrace. The father's pleading with him, and the older brother answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. And the father said, Son, you've always been with me. You've always been with me. And all that's mine is yours. But he had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and begun to live and was lost and has been found. And the parable ends and the older brother's outside of the house and it's a little bit of a cliffhanger. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl this week, but much ado has been made of the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning's going to end on a high note. He wins his second Super Bowl. His family's going nuts, all except for his brother, Eli. You see this? You see that? That that happened. That doesn't look like very much joy in his brother, right? And that's funny. Like, right? That's super funny. And also convicting. Because sometimes we have that look on our face when we scroll through Facebook or Instagram. Someone else's glory, someone else's good news, someone else's marriage. We got that look on our face. And God is saying, don't you understand, your, your collective salvation brings joy to us all. Find glory and strength and humility and celebrating other people. We've got to be humble, not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less often. And, ha- and that happens when we bring glory and honor to others. That's why the story of the refugee drive, if you missed it last couple weeks, very cool story. Because it's not a staff thing and it's not a Bethany thing. It's a woman trying to follow God thing who saw enough on social media and heard the Bible preached on Sunday and started to say, I think we should do something. And so some her and some friends have started our refugee drive, which continues this week. You can stop at the serve desk. We're collecting starting on the 21st and 28th, collecting baby carriers with an organization called Carry the Future and household items with, with World Relief. Not trying to fix everything. but are trying to take our eyes off ourselves. And humility, bringing glory and honor to other people. Not a political statement. We're just trying to love people well because that's what Jesus told us to do. When I was 21 years old, I drove around the country. I got out of school. I bought a Volkswagen van. I know it's the most cliche thing you can do growing up in the 90s. And You know, spent six months. I'd worked all summer fishing, saving all my money, and just drove around as I approached the East Coast. One of my friends connected with me and said, You know, you got to go see this really famous guy. His name's Father Francis. And I've spoken before about Francis, but uh, Francis was a Franciscan monk. I know it's kind of crazy, but uh, he's famous. He's just famous. He's speaking and writing and, um, you know, makes a vow towards chastity and obedience and poverty like all the Franciscans does. But Francis, along with some others, was in the worst neighborhood of Philadelphia under the blue line on Kensington Avenue. And in the late 90s, just one of the worst parts of America, and they were there. They were rehabbing women from sexual prostitution they were feeding homeless people they were doing you know i mean just and and francis is famous so i go to meet francis and i showered that day and you know combed over my hair and i'm this 21 year old kid nervous and i you know knock on the door and looking for father francis and and there's a bunch of guys serving food and i'm like where is he you know i'm assuming there's a nice office somewhere with a nice big view over Kensington avenue where this visionary can can stare out over his domain and Like, you're looking for Francis. Yeah, I am. Where is he? Can you tell me where I might find him? He's right here. He's he's three guys deep, arms rolled up, sweat pouring off, unkept beard, serving food. Loving people well. Because his prestige and his notoriety had not alleviated the command to serve people around him. Francis, I learned in a couple days of being with him, was the most humble guy in the room at all times. I want to be like that. And I'm not there yet. Are we humble? Kind of sets the stage for this third point about authenticity that that we believe as we study scriptures that, that the people of Christ are meant to be authentic. And in our authenticity, not just complaining about our brokenness, but in our authenticity, revealing God's transformation in our life, we'll be able to testify to God's saving and transformative work around us. So this comes from Exodus 4, like the great transformation narrative. This is the whole piece where Moses picks up a uh, stick and it turns into a snake when he throws it in the ground, and and Moses is questioning his call. And, And God says this to Moses in Exodus 4, when Moses answered, what if they'll not believe me or listen to me? They might say, the Lord's not shown himself to you, and the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your coat. So Moses put his hand inside his coat, and when he took it out, his hand had a bad skin disease and was white as snow. He had leprosy. Then God said, put your hand inside your coat again. Then Moses put his hand into his coat again, and when he took it out this time, it it was healed. When he took it out of his coat, he saw it become like his other flesh. And God said, if they'll not listen to you or believe you when they're shown the first thing, the leprosy thing, the brokenness thing, the I don't got it all figured out thing. Then they may believe when this is shown to them. God is saying in your transformation, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be authentic and continue to reveal how Christ is transforming you because we have a tendency to think nobody wants to see the bad stuff. They don't want to see it. She doesn't want to know your temptations. He would leave you if he knew what you thought about. And so we begin to hide. And lie to ourselves. And better bodies are called to be authentic. Because the exact stories we don't want to tell are the exact ones God can use to instruct others. People who have been through a divorce. Like I'm, I'm the worst one in the room to talk to young couples about the power of marriage. It's not true. Because you know how painful it was everything you've been through. And so the Lord is saying to his people, show the authentic transformation. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to have the right words. I'll speak through you. Our whole staff, uh, every Thursday, we study different parts of theology and we actually listen to a sermon. And this is the whole Bethany staff every Thursday morning as we continue on on our process of becoming all that God wants to teach us. The whole staff listen to a sermon on authenticity and leadership development from a guy named Andy Stanley. And Stanley says this, he says, that our mistakes don't disqualify us that they equip us because we learn more from failure than from success and so when we've failed in the past God wants to take those failures and not hide them but to reveal the truth to transform you and allow the transformation that happens in your life to be able to transform others in that way your transformation was not in vain In that way, in your transformation, your authenticity can shine to the world around you. That God did a miracle with you. And in that miracle, you can shape others. Because that's how people will know they can follow you when you're showing them your heart. And the danger of this, friends, is very real. In the the book of Acts, in the characters of Ananias and Sapphira, these real people that that wanted to fake it to, to make it. They wanted to show up to the temple and pretend they had a whole offering. They wanted to, to be part of this, this resurrection life that's happening all around. Thousands are being saved, miracles are being done. Ananias and Sapphira go into the temple like, let's just let's just fake it, and they died. And we could say, well, God, isn't that wonderful that you know that's a that's a good warning on tithing, Scott. It's not. It's actually a story of authenticity. I and mean, when you begin to hide parts of yourself from people around you and from Christians you're walking with and from God himself, pieces of your heart begin to atrophy and die. We've got to be authentic. We've got to be real in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces. It's okay to make mistakes. We need God to be changing our hearts and pointing the transformation out and so that others can learn from us. Luke 16, Jesus responded, you try to look good in the eyes of men, but God sees your hearts, and what men think highly of is a stench before God. Because remember, as God told Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord doesn't look like you look. He doesn't want us to look like everything is all figured out. The Lord looks where? He looks at our hearts. And that's why this little mangy shepherd boy, David, was the most gifted The most gifted to lead the nation of Israel. Because he looked exactly like what God saw him as. Humble and obedient and worshipful. And then, oh yeah, a sinner and an adulterer who had to confess that too. Because no one gets out alive. No one's perfect. We all make mistakes. We're called to be authentic instead of, propping up ourselves with this veneer of spirituality. I don't know if you've heard the story of Gregory Potemkin in the 18th century. and Some historians have started to argue the, the whole vernacular of this, of Potemkin villages, but just go with me. He was a real person, Gregory Potemkin, and he was trying to woo Catherine the Great. And so Catherine the Great, in 1783, took a tour of new Russian lands in modern-day Crimea. And so Gregory Potemkin thought, well i got to show the queen that all this transformation has happened. So he would, he would get peasants and dress them up in fine clothes. And then, like, like, every time Catherine would walk across the street, these extras in the movie of Catherine's fake experience would walk across. And he built these entire villages so if she took a river cruise down the river. She would see these fake storefronts and say, My Gregory, what you've done, your leadership can't live in places like this of course not We're called to be authentic being real and humble and vulnerable saying places that God's not done with me yet but being able to say I don't want to build a house that's just got the front end I want a foundation in Jesus Christ I want to be confessing sins and growing and and may God use my mistakes for his glory so that others maybe don't fall into the same traps. And then ultimately, this is where it gets good. I mean, this this vulnerability and humility and authenticity, you know, it kind of seems like a downer, really, you know. The reality is this. This is the fruit of these lives. These are people that are experiencing joy and rest and confidence They're not trying to be something that God hasn't made them to be. They're just being themselves, transformed by Christ himself. Able to be all that God created him. And this is how, in the book of Romans, where Paul says in Romans 7 wretched man that I am, and then Romans 8, he says, we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And you're like, I want that conquering type life. It's the fruit of vulnerability and humility and authenticity that we get to have some of the joy of conquering past defeats. He was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God, for we also are weak in him, and in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And that's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay so that the power will be of God and not us. I recognize these words can, can roll off our tongue. Vulnerability, humility, authenticity. It reminds me of those precious, precious companions figurines that kind of float around in the 80s and 90s. It all sounds really nice. It's a call of Christ in our hearts. We continue to model an openness to the Lord and to others and humbly seeking that others win above ourselves and being real and authentic. We would testify to what Jesus is doing in us. One of my favorite verses and one that I would encourage you to spend some time in in this Lenten season, John three thirty. He must become greater and I must become less that those words would be our prayer as we get ready for Easter. He must become greater, I must become less. We worship a God who came for us. Last Sunday, I don't often stay to the end, but you know, I told you i get here at eight. Last, oftentimes, um, sometimes, I'm the, one of the last guys here. And last Sunday, I had my, my little girl with me. A little girl. And it's 1.30 and everyone's gone. And we're just loading up. There's a few volunteers left. We're loading up the truck. And I'm, I'm walking these back halls and the doors are locked and I can't find my little girl. I have to try the one to the stage. I can't get in. Try the other door. can't get in. I don't know where a monitor is. I'm starting to get very worried. And it dawns on me that if I heard her behind that door, I wouldn't be like, yeah, I'll, I'll come back later or I'm sorry. Um, I'll see you next Sunday, honey. Like, I, I mean, I, like, I, like, the fear gave way to this, like, I, I will go through that door to find her if she's in there. Friends, that's the God we serve. He kicked down the door. He came for us. He laid his life down so that we would be his sons and his daughters. Vulnerable, humble, authentic, praising him. Would you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for the gift of your resurrection life. And Father, as we we walk through this Lenten season, we just pray that you give us eyes to see in the darkness, an ability that we would be not thinking less of ourselves, but just flat out thinking of ourselves less and thinking of you more. And we don't do this well, but God, give us the strength to be vulnerable with one another. We don't have to fake it. Give us the strength to be humble with one another. We don't have all the answers. Allow us to be authentic so that in your transforming us, Lord, that we would be a light to other people. That means we've got to receive you, we've got to make that manifest in our homes and our jobs and our neighborhoods. Lord, do a new work in us. Make us your people able to testify that you're the God that kicked in the door for us and came to save us. In your great and awesome name we pray, amen.